Hi, I'm Gio. And I'm Renee. And this is Listen To Me Podcast, where you get all the greatest and unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so that you can shift your mindset without breaking your brain. Mm. I feel like that's appropriate today because my brain is broken. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My brain was never fixed. (laughs) The the factory settings were, in in fact, fucked. (laughs) I was listening to um, a podcast uh, a couple days ago, and the two hosts were talking about how the one is more articulate and intelligent quote unquote and then the other one is very like artsy hippy dippy stoner and i was like what were you listening to uh very that with raja and delta (laughs) (laughs) and i was like oh my god i think i'm the raja and renee's the delta (laughs) very that i don't actually know that much about delta i recognize her name but she she loves a soapbox moment. That's yes, for sure. Yes, Delta. Oh, we're <laughs> she, sisters. She's got something to say about everything. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and then there's Raja that. who's like, I don't know. Like, I'm really stoned right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me to think. Okay, well, I'm being Raja today because the weather here is really wild. And I know I always talk about... Um, you do. Yeah, the Edmonton <laughs> weather, the Alberta weather, but... March is a clusterfuck every year. So we've had highs of 12 and overnight lows of like minus 10. I saw this post online that was like um, certain parts of North America have a secret fifth season called gross. <laughs> like, we're in that right now. It's where everything is brown and you can't tell how cold it's going to be just by looking out the window until you go outside and you're either sweating or freezing. That's not happening here. I'm happy to <laughs> I know. say. I'm glad it's... for you. All of my Ontario friends are sending me beautiful pictures of their porches. And I was editing a podcast earlier and we were talking about the weather came up again and you were talking Always. about how cold it was there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I said something about like, oh, it's like 20 degrees here. And like, you literally were like, you can get fucked. And like, you just <laughs> said it in this way that was so like with such like gumption i was like <laughs> like listening so back mad. i was like oh my god <laughs> and i'm like used to you berating me and being mean so. <laughs> I'm, just I'm not kidding. mean it's just how i express my love <laughs> it's, it's very emphatic my friend accused me of having a tall personality earlier today he's like oh, you're yeah. what like five foot nine and i was like no I'm like I'm like five foot six and he's like hmm I wonder what's adding the extra height maybe it's just your personality and I was like, <laughs> all right you pick a segue segue queen <laughs> so today I have no I have nothing I have no seg- segue today I like it when your segues are as abrupt as possible so this works for me Today, we're going to be talking to Greg Brown. I met Greg at the CGLCC Summit in, I'll say that three times fast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I met him at the summit in 2019. There was like a workshop or something and he came in and sat at my table. I want to get into it with him because I think it would be funnier to have him say it, but it was just the funniest interaction where I was immediately like, who is this person who's like coming in late? <laughs> like, you want to get it? was the funniest shit. But anyway. So, so Greg, okay, fine. Tell us a little bit about Greg then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, shut up. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know, I know. I'm, I'm trying kidding. to save it. I'm trying to save it for when he comes. 
He's an author. He's also a keynote speaker. And he's worked with teams ranging from CEOs to frontline workers, associations, governments. He's worked with Fortune 500 companies. He's a speaker as well. And uh, he's spoken with audiences from like NATO, the UN, World Bank, as well as North American-based organizations like TD, U of T, Manulife. All of this is like very corporate sounding. And I promise that he is the exact opposite, which is something <laughs> I want to talk to him about. That balance of the creative with that corporate vibe that he gives off. He's also actually been featured on CTV's The Social, The Good Men Project, Entrepreneur, Global News, The Morning Show. And he's also going to be part in, which I think this is, I love this, uh, season two of The Social Movement, which is a reality show airing in 2022. I, I just found this is. out. <laughs> Me neither. I just found it out. And so I'm, I'm excited to talk to him about it and to get a bit more information as to what exactly he's going to be doing on a reality show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but oh, very cool. He's like a talking head expert or something. I think so. I think yeah. it's something like that. Yeah. I'm really excited to chat with him. And he's like, I don't do anything past eight o'clock. And oh, I was like, thank you. I'm glad <laughs> I didn't. I was like, I can't cancel on an interview. That was That's the one place where I draw the line. I'd cancel on you easily, no problem. And I'd be okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's talk to Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hi, Greg. How are you? Good. How are you? Let me turn on my video. I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm good. Is yeah. Geo joining us? Hello. <laughs> how are you? Good. What's with the fake background? Uh, because I, closet. I have to record in here because it's the only room in my entire condo that doesn't echo like crazy. So I have to sit in here. Otherwise, it just sounds like I'm in a cave. Oh, like I'm in our condo in the city and I have like these white shears across the bedroom. I have to keep my head in front of the, see the light reflection that I have here. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm all of those, the lighting and angles. Sorry, <laughs> I do this for a living. So <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, you've done this before, obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm it. usually on camera in my studio where I'm speaking, you know, to a thousand people or something. So mm -hmm. it's not, well, you know, it's just the way it is. Whatever you can do what you can edit this down and I'll be like, excuse me. <laughs> I'm really happy to know that you haven't changed a bit. I... Quarantine oh, hasn't changed. So, you know. <laughs> oh my God, I'm dying. I know, it's true. But it's eight o'clock at night. I told you it was going to be a free for all. So. <laughs> I You're, love it. Yeah. This is already I'm great. upset. I'm living for this right now. <laughs> <laughs> but and you know what's important about this is that people see that there's this white crazy gay guy so that they feel represented too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Usually Geo fills that function, but you've got it covered tonight. Greg. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but he's young, so he's not old. So that's, that's the true, problem, yeah. right? There's an obsession with youth, which I don't quite understand because us older men are relatively attractive with our little muscles. Pre-interview, uh, I was uh, comparing you to Mr. Clean. Everybody says Mr. Clean. And you, when I was younger, it used to be Vin Diesel. Mr. Clean is not hard on the eyes. <laughs> okay, we better get going on this or I'll be asleep. This is exactly how I thought this interview would go. Okay, well, don't record. Okay, I'm ready to go whenever you are. We've been recording this whole time. <laughs> it doesn't say it, does that? Okay. I'd be fired. Let me just have a drink. <laughs> Well, Greg, I just want to thank you for coming on our little dog and pony starting now. Yeah. Yes. Tell me when we're starting. Starting. I'm Are you ready, now. everybody? We're recording now. We're recording now. Okay. And action. <laughs>
Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming on our little dog and pony show. I very much appreciate your time. I know it's past your bedtime. Way past. <laughs> yes, we appreciate it so much. It's really nice to meet you. Thank you, Renee. So how, how have you been in this like crazy year? You know, I've been really good. And I say that with an acknowledgement that many people have not. Mm -hmm. um, I'm usually on a plane many times a month speaking around the world and very gratefully so. And even though my calendar cleared a year ago, I was at home and, and I've had a year at home and it's been really a blessing in disguise and that I've appreciated the things that I don't normally appreciate, like having dinner with my husband or being with my cat constantly. And, you know, it's not a binary for me or a dichotomy. It's very much a, you know, I love traveling and I'm loving being at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also acknowledging that there are many, many, many people, and, I, and I'll say the majority of people, because I speak to thousands of people a year now virtually, many people who don't have that luxury of experience. And, you know, some of the research is showing, you know, most of the people, and I'm generalizing when I say most, but let's say many of the people who uh, have been affected by COVID are women uh, who are under the age of 40, who are single, who have kids to support, yeah. who are working in jobs that are hospitality or retail. So low income roles, and that's not even speaking to the people like us that are self-employed, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, we haven't even begun to see how hard it is for people that are living in one bedroom apartments with five people. We haven't even heard of that yet. And we will. Yeah. Yeah. It's just at the beginning. It's only been a year and the fallout, it's going to yeah. keep coming. Well, and if you think about, you know, people in my world, you know, I speak for a living on stage usually, and you know, that cleared. And I was lucky to make that transition to virtual because I'd had the background in doing that. Uh, many people didn't. And, you know, my heart breaks for entrepreneurs. And as you know, I support entrepreneurs pro bono for mm -hmm. free. And, you know, many entrepreneurs and restaurant owners and small business owners, you know, in the community where I live in Toronto and, uh, you know, in the small community of Port Dover, where I spend most of my time, they've had a rough go. And so, you know, I feel guilty. I go into a store, I'm like, I don't need this soap, but I'm going to buy 10 bars of it. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I don't need this nose picker that's customized for people over 40 that I'll never use. But I'm going to buy <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just have this, I want to support people. Yeah. And you have a spending problem. <laughs> you know what? I, this is what I say to people during the pandemic. If you have money to spend to go for dinner, you can tip 25%. Yeah. Yeah. If you have money to go shopping, you can go to your local store and buy a piece of shit. Can I say shit on your podcast? Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. You, can, you, can, yeah. <laughs> you can buy a piece of shit and support your entrepreneur and give it away to someone. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I just did a gift, I, a little thing today with my neighbor because we've been cleaning out some junk we'd bought over the last year. And I made up this new game and you all can steal it. It's called Garbage or Gift. Hmm. <laughs> it's Garbage or Gift. What do you want? Oh. That's what usually happens on some of my dates. <laughs> oh my well, Gio, the truth is not everybody's going to be a match to you or to me or to Renee. If they don't choose you, they're garbage. <laughs> exactly. They're... You're a gift. <laughs> they don't choose you if you are a gift. And if Renee likes, well, I don't know if Renee likes boys, maybe she does. I like both. Okay. Oh, like everyone. Oh, oh. You're sexually expansive. Uh, yes, that's right. Indiscriminate awesome. even. Oh, well, <laughs> a lot of people with Geo, I'm sure, have said they're indiscriminate. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I'm so thankful that you are doing this for with us. <laughs> like, honestly, this means so much. I love it. Well, thank you. Okay, so I want to get into it. I've known you now for, we're going on like two years, I think, which is shocking to me. I thought, honestly, it feels like, like longer, but less. But you're not but, that old. I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> one of the common themes that you and I have talked about a lot over the course of these last couple of years was that a theme throughout your life has been helping others to like achieve more, to really like push themselves and to connect with themselves. Where did that come from? You know, my mom used to call it a bleeding heart when I was a kid. If you had a bleeding heart, you want to help everybody. So, you know, a little bit of shame about wanting to help people. Uh, screw off, Ma. No offense, she's dead, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't care. You know, thanks, Ma. You know, I, I think what it comes from is, I think this has been sort of my driver my whole life, and I mean this since I was a kid, is that I've always been that person who believes that, it's going to sound really corny, it makes me feel good to make other people feel good. You know, it makes, yeah. like, people think volunteerism is completely altruistic, but all the research shows that's horseshit. Yeah. Yes, we volunteer because we want to give, but we get a lot from it. Mm -hmm. It may not be money. It may be the feeling of feeling good or contributing or making people's lives better. And, you know, I think that's, that's where it came from for me. And I also believed that... You know, I grew up in a really nice home for a certain period of time. And in the early 70s, my parents lost their money and blah, blah, blah. And we had to move and live in subsidized housing or something that could have been considered. I don't know if it was, but it was like $300 a month. I remember that. And it wasn't, you know, in a great area. Sorry to anybody that's listening grew up where I did, but it wasn't a great area. And the reason I know that, it was about six years ago, uh, I met a girl who was my first girlfriend. Well, my only girlfriend. When I was seven. <laughs> And we kissed on her sofa in the front porch. And Tracy said to me, I'll have to send this to her. Tracy said to me, you know, only two of us got out of that neighborhood. Oh, my God. Yeah, two. And I didn't know how bad a neighborhood was, but I sort of knew, like, my mom, whose friend Patty lived down the street. And I found this out in 2015, so six years ago. So you know, I lived this life of thinking I was sort of middle class and blah, blah, which I wasn't. I was very, like, lower middle class and poor. I was the kid with the cream shirt when everybody had to have white. So talk about, you know, imposter syndrome, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I said to my mom when she was dying in the hospital in Ottawa, I said, Ma, why was our dog named Coco? Because we were the only people I've met in my whole life with a little white poodle, like a terrier poodle, terrier poodle named Coco, and he was white. And she said, well, I couldn't call him cocaine. And I said, why would you call him cocaine? And she said, well, Patty, who was part of the Hell's Angels, that was her dog, and they named him cocaine. <laughs> so for the church ladies, she had to call him Coco. <laughs> So, you know, that just sort of tells you, and, you know, I had friends, I didn't know this till later, who'd been arrested for assault and, you know, people who did crazy things at their home, like nude Wednesdays and, you know, all to be about sucking of your body, which I agree with, but I don't think it's really good for your whole family to go around naked together. Um, that's just my own personal belief. So, you know, I think it came from realizing that I needed to get out of where I was. And it's there's no judgment about being there because Lord knows I've been there. No judgment. But I knew that I could work myself out and I wanted to help people who wanted to shift the way they were living. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I live in a rural area now, and it doesn't mean, you know, the guy from the city is going to save everybody in a rural area. Or when I worked, you know, the downtown east side of Vancouver with, you know, injection drug users and people that are more, you know, what you would think is destitute than anybody I've ever seen in Toronto. You know, 100 Block Hastings in Vancouver is like, mm-hmm. war. Oh, yeah. it's a war zone. It's not about coming in and saving people. It's about going in and meeting people where they are at and just trying to make their lives a little better, just if you can just treat them with respect. Like sometimes people would say to me, just because you called me by my name or shook my hand today. um, Look me in the eye. Yeah. So, you know, I pass homeless people on the street. I don't ignore them. I was like, hello. You know, I may not have cash or whatever. Like, hey, you know, try not to. I want to be seen. You want to be seen. Everybody listening here wants to be seen. And I think being seen implies to the worst drug addict, and that's not a term I use, but I'm using societal terms to people who use drugs who are on the street or in throes of addiction through to people that are in their ivory towers of CEOs where everybody thinks their lives is great. And their life might not be great. At the end of the day, we all suffer. There are different levels of suffering, of course, but like the human experience is, it doesn't matter what your background is, there is that that internal struggle. who don't know as much about you as Geo does, how did you start out? Like, did you have a plan where you're like, I'm going to go to school for this and this is how I'm going to help people? Or how did you how did you get there? Well, one of the things I believe, and just pouring myself some uh, water so people don't think I'm drinking, um, <laughs> even though I would like to have a drink, but I'm not going to. Um, who cares? Have one. Yeah, I don't have No, because we'll end off somewhere talking about something else that we don't want to talk about <laughs> on a podcast because it'll never go away. It'll come back and haunt me. I edit this. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I think, you know, where that came from was when I was a kid, I was in school. And then when I was in grade, when I was like 12 or 13, I went to camp. It was called McSkimming Science School outside of Ottawa. And it was an outdoors where you learned how to, you know, make crafts and canoe and, you know, do orienteering and, you know, mm-hmm. find stuff like that. Yeah. And I thrived because I hated school. I hated being in school because I was called fag and gay. And, you know, the yeah, principal know. thought I was a little girl and I was actually a little boy because I had beautiful long hair, feathered, of course. <laughs> If yes. Grew up in the 70s with Charlie's Angels, like Farrah Fawcett. If yes. you don't know who she is, Google it. Gorgeous <laughs> hair. I feathered my hair every day and blow dried it and curled it with my sister's curler things. We didn't have curling arms back then. We yes. Curled. People thought I was a little girl because I had beautiful red lips, which I still have. <laughs> and, and beautiful deep blue eyes and long dark eyelashes, which I still have. But I didn't quite fit in. I went to camp and I loved it. And then I became a counselor in training. And I started to teach people how to do canoeing. And then I started pe- teaching people how to do crafts, like everything from macrame <laughs> to other fun things. And But I loved canoeing and teaching kids who are, you know, my age, how to do things. And that sort of started my teaching career, because I'm really a teacher today, regardless of whether it's you know, speaker or any other fancy term, I'm a teacher. And that started it. And I realized I loved working with people and not, and it's, I don't look at it as imparting wisdom, but I look at it as creating a space where we can come together and 
feed off each other in a good way. Like I have some stuff to teach. You got some stuff. Let's come together and see what can happen. When I was in high school, I, I was going to go to university to be an early childhood educator because I thought I wanted to work with kids. But by that point, I'd work with kids for four or five years. I'm like, I don't want to work with kids anymore. Full time for nine months. So my hat mm. was off to every teacher in grade school, in college, in university, because I don't want people for nine months, because then you deal with all the behavioral issues, and I just don't have the patience. <laughs> um, I don't. So it, it evolved into training, which was, you know, going in and training staff. And now I get to speak, and, you know, it's the same thing, you know, 40-something years later, I'm not teaching canoeing anymore. When we met, what immediately attracted me to you was just your your presence like you're very charismatic not just your presence but you are present when i'm speaking to you like yeah. you're you're right there with me and i remember we left the summit to go grab a coffee and i was so i still to this day i'm very appreciative of those couple hours that we spent together because you picked my brain about what it is that like why i was there where, oh. where, where do you see yourself going what are the things that you want to achieve what makes you feel connected to this group of people and to your work and that was something that people don't take the time. So for me, it's like, that. it's a, it's no wonder that you are doing what you do and that you do it successfully. Thank you. That's very kind to say that. It could have been just because you're Italian and I'm married to an Italian. It could be that simple. <laughs> okay. So just... I might just like Italians. <laughs> I just thought you were hot. So I wanted to talk to you. Exactly. My husband's <laughs> Italian, but he's Northern Italian. So where what am I going to do with that, Renee? Honestly, where is he from? I, yeah, he's Southern though, Geo, you can tell. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, Where's yeah. your husband from though? Uh, Como. So okay. Northern, you know, where Judge Clooney has a house. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. been there, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I haven't been to Como, but Peter, that's where his family's from. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So Greg, you describe yourself as someone who uses a lens of organizational psychology, behavioral science, and change management to help clients create the right practices for themselves and their teams. So can you tell, well, me, first of all, and also our <laughs> listeners a little bit about how you process uh, when you work with your clients, um, how do you get them to achieve all those things and how it applies in the real world? Yeah, so I think, you know, if you look at the concepts of what organizational psychology is and behavioral science and change management, all of them distill down to how do people work and function? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So what makes people tick? I've always been interested since I was like a baby. How do people tick? Exactly. And I had great hair. <laughs> um, like Farrah Fawcett hair. Google it if you don't know who she is. <laughs> Um, no, I by the that, end of this episode, who Farrah You have no idea who she is? No, Renee? I know who Farrah Fawcett no, is, of course. Because okay. yeah. I often use that reference of people that are younger than 55, like my son, or my 54, I don't know what age I am. Um, <laughs> they're like, I don't know who that is. I'm like, look up Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Anyway, so edit that out. Um, or not. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> so... What it is, it's really finding out what people tick. So when I was a kid, I used to hang out with the adults and I asked lots of questions. My mom was always saying to me, you ask too many questions, you ask too many questions. <laughs> and she was happy I asked a lot, but I wanted to know what made people tick. So organizational psychology is all about what makes people tick at work. Behavioral science is all about how do people shift and change their behaviors 
you know, whether it's ranging from, you know, harm reductions approaches in HIV AIDS or harm reductions in addictions through to how you learn Microsoft Word, how you learn how to yeah. use an iPhone, how to shift and grow your entrepreneurial mindset to something else, how to grow your business from 50,000 year to 100, that's all behavioral science. Mm -hmm. Change management is all about how do I shift and change to things I disagree with or that are disruptive? And, you know, I talk to entrepreneurs all the time. They're like, oh, I love change. I'm really good at change. I'm an entrepreneur because I haven't changed. I'm like, yeah, well, so am I. We all love change that we initiate, mm -hmm. change that we agree with, yeah. change that's going to benefit us. There's not one person on the planet that likes change that is disruptive to them, that goes against what they believe, that that goes against what they were expecting, that's going to create extra work. I hate, I am very technologically savvy, and I've managed lots of large-scale, multi-million dollars IT projects. I hate when they download a new version of iOS to my iPhone. <laughs> Why? And there's no one on the planet who'll say, oh, I love it. Why? Because it takes an extra 10 minutes, 15 minutes to figure out where all the stupid things have moved to. Mm -hmm. And does anybody have an extra 10 to 15 minutes during their day? No. So when you integrate change management, organizational psychology, and behavioral science, to me, it really creates that full package of how we as people can do what we need to do at our work. You know, mm -hmm. when we're on our own as creatives, when we're trying to develop our business, develop some new art, you know, interact with new customers, it involves all of those pieces. And the number one piece that came out of all of that stuff I just talked about is this. When we want to get new customers, get people to change, get our people around us to adapt to things in different ways, mm -hmm. we have to remember that the change happens in the mind of the other person. It's not about us. Mm -hmm. We can sing, dance, talk, throw benefits, and I blame marketing and sales and advertising for that. And I have a sales background. But, you know, we watch the Tide commercials on TV and they're like, buy Tide, your clothes will get cleaner. And as entrepreneurs, we go, buy my graphics. They're going to make you rich. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do this. Well, that's crap. Mm -hmm. We need to get into the head of the, what do they need to say, do, be, or have to say yes mm -hmm. to what we want to do, whether it's to fill out the new form, whether it's to buy my product, whether it's to adapt to my big change initiatives or to deal with organizational restructuring. It's all the same. Yeah. I'm part of a monthly, uh, so it's called the Leadership Connect Call. And I don't know if, did you ever meet Dan Snow through the CGLCC? Nope. So he hosts it and it's just a bunch of entrepreneurs and every month is a theme. And the one that we just did on Friday last week was around how to use the language of your customer or your client in order to figure out what is their problem so that you can address it to them and speak so that basically you can connect yeah. with a potential client or customer. You have to talk to them, not at them of like, this is all I can do. It's like, but what do you need from me? And how can I make that happen for you? Well, and the way I tell people to deal with that is, Pay attention to the language people are using. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people um, people have said to me that I'm often a chameleon, like I can speak to a finance audience or I can speak to a group of 20-year-old entrepreneurs. And, you know, it's not about being fake. It's not about being someone you're not. 
It's about listening to what they say and integrating it into your own experience and using their language that feels authentic. And that comes from, for me, 28, 29 years ago, I worked in HIV AIDS. I worked with people living on the street. I worked with you know, drug users and I'd tell them how to shoot up even though I'd never shot a needle into my arm in my life. I'd tell people how to have safe sex and how to do things that I'd never done. And I'd made a fool out of myself half the time. <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about half the time, but you know, they needed people, so I did it. But where it came down to was, and where it really set me up for my career, was learning how to speak to people who were not me in a non-judgmental way about things that we all had judgments about. So by that, I mean this. One of the things I did that I'm very proud of was that, you know, I worked with healthcare professionals and people like Catholic nuns who were working with people on the street. And, you know, people often will bash, you know, Catholics and so on because of the history and stuff and rightfully so. But one of the, yeah, absolutely. Many people are recovering Catholics. I'm not, but many people are. And if you look at the history of Catholic charity hospitals, so like St. Paul's in Vancouver and St. Mike's in Toronto, and this is some history, they were at the forefront of dealing with HIV. They were the only uh, hospitals that would take HIV patients back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. The only hospitals, other people wouldn't. They were also the only ones that had the HIV research centers. And they were also the only ones that would work with sex workers, which they weren't called back then. We called them prostitutes back then. But today, of course, sex workers, which I agree with. And the nuns I worked with at St. Paul's because sex work was illegal back then. I'm not sure if it's illegal now, but it probably is. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, yeah. This is nuns, Catholic sisters, just to be really clear. They wanted the sex workers at St. Paul's to have the same access to healthcare as everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so it's illegal to be a sex worker, and they knew that their files, your medical files can be taken by law. Most people don't know that, but they can. So they labeled all the sex workers Clara, and they had a file, Clara 1, Clara 2, Clara 3, Clara four, Clara five, and that was just the names of the sex workers. So, you know, these nuns were radical nuns who went out of their way to help people that were, you know, living on the street. And I would teach these nuns how to talk to people living on the street. And I do workshops where we'd have, and this is a long story, you can edit this. We'd have flip charts uh, laid on the floor with 25 sisters in a circle. And at the top of every flip chart were words, clinical words, body parts, breasts, penis, menstruation, intercourse, oral sex. And I would do this on the afternoon of the second day. I'd make all the sisters write down all the dirty words they'd heard for those body parts and practices, Mm -hmm. all the slang terms, all the street terms, 25 pages filled with terms. I'd have them I'd never heard of. (laughs) And you'd analyze them because you'd see, you'd, you'd see themes between men and women, of course, right? You know, men were big and strong and women were, and different things between indigenous folks and white folks and, you know, all this stuff. But what was most interesting was when the sisters were able to see that the words were just words. And when a sex worker came up and said, something's going on with my C. Mm-hmm. Yeah say that word on here even though i love that word you can say that word it is can i say it yeah i love that because i I, back then and if those of you are old enough to know the vagina monologues was on i've been in a room of three thousand women going (laughs) c-u-m-t 
my whole thing was when when a sex worker came up to a sister and said something's going on the sister didn't need to go oh dear don't say that word she'd be like okay let's talk about this mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That for that whole, you know, that to me was the culmination. I was only 25 at the time, so 30 years ago. So culmination of being able to work with people from where they are at. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that's what it comes, you know, here I am 30 years later, you know, working with CEOs of corporations, and it's the same thing. Where are you at? What language are you using? What language shouldn't I use? What language should I use? That really resonates with me because I think so many people, when they think about communication, they think about how desperate they are or how much effort they will put into making sure that they are understood and how little time they take to make sure that they understand the other person. And it is your responsibility as somebody who's communicating to do both. You can make yourself understood, but you also should make sure that you understand what that other person is saying and where they're coming from and what their values are and what is important to them. And that is true communication. And the most important, I think, is not to correct them if it's going to make them feel shame. Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I mean, you know, if someone's trans and uh, the person they're talking to uses the wrong pronoun to describe them, you know, I think there's a way to say it that's not about... You know what? They really prefer to be referred to as they. You know, I think there's a way to say it that builds bridges. And this is just my own belief to say, you know, reframe it and say, you know, next time you refer to that person, you know, that person does prefer the pronoun they. So could you try that to do that again? Yeah. There's just a different tone with that. And I get where the anger comes from because, you know, I'm a gay guy. I grew up you know, being shamed for being a little gay guy because I was a little girl and I was a little flamey and I like being flamey and that's just who I am and fuck you if you don't like it. Um, And that's where I am now. Um, And I wear lots of jewelry now because I couldn't wear jewelry as a kid and now I just pour it on. The only thing I don't don't wear is hair. I was telling Renee a little bit briefly. I didn't go into it because I wanted you to, I wanted to talk to you about it, but about when we met. Do you remember at the summit, like the day- I do, I was, I was, you were sitting in front of me and I was passing you notes because <laughs> you're Italian. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he, he was literally writing notes and it was like, one of them was, do you want to get out of here? I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, this well, is I was boring. bored. <laughs> this is what like, what's the term? Like cinch the deal? No, is uh, that- like, yeah, cinch the deal, cinch the deal, yeah. After everything, like we had gotten, we we got coffee, whatever, and then this, the summit was over, and you're like, well, what are you doing later? Tonight's, it's the finale oh, of we, we season 11. Drag Race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the finale of season 11, and we went to the bar, remember? We got hammered. We to, uh, O'Grady's. Blah, 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 blah. O'Grady's upstairs. Yeah. And when they won, I'm like, okay, I'm tired, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you stay and get laid that night? No, I I went back to my little condo. I was uh, pretty drunk and tired. I, I'd been schmoozing for two days at the summit, so I was just not in the mood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but that was so much fun. Like I, I remember standing on the street fun. corner and being like, "I'll see you when I see you." But this was lovely. <laughs> I know it was fun. We had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, remember going out? Remember the bars? Like doing oh, things. Remember bars? Remember how great it was? I think Andre. Oh my entrepreneur that I was supporting at the time didn't know what to do with us taking off. <laughs> we had we had Andre on the podcast. I love Andre. Yeah. 
He's very smart. So smart. That episode that he did, I got so many DMs or text messages, even face-to-face people saying, who is this person? He's so insightful and Mm -hmm. really connected to his work and his art. And that that to me was like, yes, like this is why I'm saying like, I love being able to do this podcast and have people tell their stories and everybody's so different and how we operate in this fucked up world (laughs) i love it and andre's one of those people who really embraces you know i call it gender expansiveness this ability to expand beyond male or female Mm -hmm. it's an expansion Mm -hmm. and a blending of you know the divine masculine divine feminine that's very interesting to me Mm -hmm. you were his mentor yeah Mm-hmm. in the program which was yep. that's how we met you sat at our table <laughs> yeah, he's awesome so on the topic of working with people because you were obviously a mentor in the mentorship program what advice do you have for anybody who is struggling to connect to the power of their own voice first off i think connecting with the power of your own voice is a lifelong process mm-hmm Totally. You know, like, I don't think it happens overnight. I think it's an evolution. You know, I'm 54 now. I went to a retreat last year in Santa Fe just before lockdown in February 2020 because I needed to find my voice at 53 mm-hmm. because I felt it had been sort of diminished in my work. And, you know, I was becoming... I just didn't know what I wanted to do anymore. And I didn't feel like it was me anymore. Going to that point, I think it is an evolution. And I look at where I am now. I've found my voice in the last year, but that's going to change. So I do think it is about taking that time to be patient with yourself. I think most importantly, well, not most importantly, there's a few things that will help you find your voice. One, ask people what you think your voice is. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you. You know, I didn't know, you know, go talk to people. What do you like about me? What do you don't like about me? Where do I thrive? Where do I shine? Why are we friends? Mm -hmm. What pisses you off? What do you enjoy? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm lucky that I'm a speaker and have been, you know, I've taught workshops and taught and, you know, been in front of people for 30 some odd years. So I get evaluation forms. So I get a lot of that feedback, good and bad, you know, (laughs) over the years. So I'm very clear today what some of my strengths are and and where my voice is. The challenge is, and I think it's particularly true for LGBTQ people and whatever else people identify as who are not mainstream. And I say that for people that are heterosexual entrepreneurs. I think entrepreneurs are outside of the mainstream. I think creatives are outside of the mainstream. Mm -hmm. We're brought up to get a go to university, get a nine to five job, get married, get a mortgage, pay off the mortgage. Don't do anything until we retire at 65 and then go on a cruise. I want to do it backwards. When I'm young, I want to retire and I want to do all of those things. And then when I'm like 80, then I'll start working for five years before I pop off. Hello. So I think that's what we're conditioned to. And when we're not in that format, and I've never been that, I knew from a young age, I could not be a cubicle person. I just Mm -hmm. knew it. And my hat goes off to people that can do it. And we need those people that is not me. The system is built around people like that. If you go to a bank loan, they want to see your T4. Well, I don't have T4s. Um, They want to see this. So it's harder to buy a house. It's harder to do this. Harder to get a bank loan. Y'all know that. That's why I go to credit unions. That's why I love credit unions. And I'll give it shout out to 
every credit union I've ever worked with, and I'm still a credit union member 30 years later. Find people and organizations that will support your voice because the mainstream is not necessarily there yet, and they won't be for long. It's only now we're talking about, oh, working at home is a possibility. I'm like, okay, because of COVID, right? So I think finding your voice, one of the pieces I really love, First Nations folk call this, and we call them First Nations here in Canada. In the US, they call them Native American, and they describe it as your original medicine. And your original medicine, and I love the way First Nations folks describe this as, um, and it's not every nation, so I'm sort of generalizing when I say First Nations, but you know, Indigenous folks. A lot of Indigenous people believe, and it's in some books. Angelus Arian wrote a book called The Fourfold Way many years ago that she studied Indigenous cultures from around the world, and she found four common themes. And whether you're in Africa, whether you're in the you know European community, in the Basque community as an example, or in uh, North America, whether you're in Canada or the U.S., or whether it was, you know, the Mayans in Mexico or the Incas in Peru or indigenous cultures, the Maori and uh, Australia and, and New Zealand. One was show up and be present, which is, you know, be there. Mm-hmm. You, know, so you were talking about earlier, Gio. You know, the second was pay attention to what is heart and meaning. So notice where your energy goes. And I say that that's true for entrepreneurs. You know, if you want to work with certain clients, notice which ones bring you alive and which ones make you go, no way. The third one is tell the truth without blame or judgment. So it's similar to what I was saying about working with the nuns and making sure that, you know, they weren't judging the people with language they were doing. And the fourth one, which I just love, is about being open to outcome, not attached. So set your goals, figure out where you want to go, and then be open to whichever way the world takes you. And, you know, the work that I've done with the you the mentees in the CGLCC program, it's very much that. It's like, well, let's put some goals that are attainable in place. Let's be open to all the crazy stuff that can happen. Because when you have that goal, you never know where the universe and the energy, and by energy, I just don't mean, you know, woo-woo, new age stuff, but, you know, where you want to go. Mm-hmm. It's going to shift and change. Yeah, we talk a lot about that on this podcast with the wide variety of entrepreneurs, creatives, artists that we've talked to. And Renee, and I can speak for this, we're like, I have a vision, okay? I want to get to a certain place, but it's this idea of like, it's a mentality. And yes, I have to put in the work, obviously. I can't just like show up and be like, I'm going to be, you know, making six figures and like doing all this cool creative. But it's this energy that you put out where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing really, but it seems to be working because of my mindset. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that because that's a very good point. One of the things about human beings is we are teleological, meaning when we set a goal in place, our subconscious mind figures out how to get there. Now, your subconscious mind isn't some woo-woo term. It's a collection of neurons. Mm -hmm. Now, the mindset piece is very important. And there's two pieces I'll quickly talk about around, you know, our brains, which tie into what you're saying. So people realize this is your physiology. This is not Mm woo-woo. Our neurons in our prefrontal cortex, which are about here, they determine how you're going to problem solve and decision make throughout the day. You know, when you get up in the morning and it's raining outside and you get up and say, oh, it's a lousy day out your brain is going to start lousy, 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 lousy. And how you start your day is how do you lead your day? And how you lead your day is how you live your life. Your life isn't made up of this big life. It's made up of daily moments and hours and minutes. 
And so if it's raining outside, you what you want to do is take the emotion and judgment out of your language. You notice the words emotion judgment. Again, let's take it on out, just like I did with those nuns. Now, when you program your brain to say it's a wet day, you're not putting emotion and judgment there. Now, it doesn't mean bad things won't happen. What it does mean is your brain and neurons and neural pathways are programmed to handle them more efficiently. Now, the other part of your brain that we want to know about is our reticular activating system. And you can just Google that. And it's the part, you can probably see mine because I have no hair. It's at the top of your brain stem. And it's a collection of neurons. So again, things you see are those neuron microscope things. And what they do is it tells you what to pay attention to. Mm. It's like your search engine. And it, it's like when people buy a new car and you notice, oh my gosh, everybody's got a new red Ford Focus. Or if you're pregnant, you're like, oh my God, everybody's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Everybody's not pregnant. Everybody doesn't have a new Ford Focus. What it is, is you've told your brain what to pay attention to subconsciously. And your brain looks for information to make it true. Mm. So when you set a goal of, I want to make 60,000 a year or 80,000 or 100,000, whatever your goal is, you want to set that goal. You want to put some value around it. And you want to start noticing things that are going to help you there. And, And when you don't have goals, you don't know where to look. So if anybody ever did driving lessons or if any of you have children who are listening and you teach a kid how to ride a bike, you tell them to look to where they want to go, not at the rock. Because when you look at the rock, your body steers to the rock and you hit it. (laughs) (laughs) You do. If you did driving lessons like I did, when you go into a skid, they teach you look to where you want to go because your body will automatically self-correct. And that's the same with work. So we want to get very, very clear as business owners. What do we want? It needs to be realistic. It can't be pie in the sky, woo-woo, because you're because bo- what happens is you're like, I'm, a, you know, affirmations. You've all probably heard of affirmation theory. I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. Yeah. You, can a million, you're, you can look in the mirror and tell yourself you're a millionaire all you want. And what is your subconscious mind doing if you listen to your mind? What is it doing? No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Mm-hmm. If you reframe that and say, I'm willing to be a millionaire, I'm willing to do this, your subconscious mind is aligned with that. I'm willing to make $100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to be a graphic designer. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, but I'm willing to be it. That works. It's true. Uh, this is like all, it's like you're re- giving me a refresher course. Like, Cause a year ago, I remember when we talked at the beginning of COVID and I was like, ah, like everything stopped. I have no clients. Everything's like down the drain, whatever. And you were like, you're fine. Reconnect to what it is that you had set out as an intention and what you're working towards. Like we talked to with uh, Dr. Donardo in a previous episode, take inventory take inventory but what you've actually accomplished the rug has not been pulled out from under you geo and those talks it's like i like i said i feel like i'm revisiting those those, those. i think what's really important about that for people to know is it's not about putting a positive spin on a bad situation exactly so if someone is spinning out of control you want to listen to them if anybody listening here today let's say you go out and then you go home and your house is on fire your condo's on fire and a well-meaning neighbor comes up and says Hey, Renee, guess what? Your house is burning. And guess what? You Don't worry about it. You get to get a new kitchen. (laughs) You're going to want to proverbially cuff them in the head because it's not the right time. And what's important is if people are concerned, upset, worried, the important part is to meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. Because what I believe 
the greatest gift you can give someone when they are in despair, whether it's living on the street, like I've said, or whether it's a case of, you know, Geo spinning out because it's like, oh my God, my clients, just like I spun out too, because I lost all my business in a year, for a year. Mm -hmm. The greatest gift you can give someone is to be in the uncertainty with them and not try to take them out of it. And I tell this to CEOs and I tell this to family members. You gotta get into the negativity. You cannot overlook it. We've talked a lot about imposter syndrome on Listen to Me and how that affects us as entrepreneurs or creatives working for ourselves. And I like a lot of what you said tonight, Greg, I think has application for entrepreneurs and also for creative people who are just looking to find their way into their craft, like going into it with an open mind, looking for that alignment and also kind of like validating how it can be really difficult. And also I really, really like the idea of being open to outcomes, not attached. Like I think that helps to steer us in the right direction. In terms of how queer people come up against imposter syndrome, can you give us some of your perspective on that and and kind of bring us through it? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, there's my experience, there's a lot of research. You know, some of the research shows that high achieving individuals tend to have a lot of imposter syndrome. So that's good. I mean, look, we're all high achievers. (laughs) Yay. And, you know, my belief is people that listen to podcasts are generally high achievers. And if you're listening, you probably are listening to learn something, to improve something, to think about something. And that shows you're a high achiever. And and the research shows that we tend to have more of that, people that are high achievers. And what's interesting is a systematic review, meaning like a sort of a meta-analysis of research, found that people who had imposter syndrome tend to believe they were the only ones with it. Mm. Yeah. So one of the great things about talking about it and knowing that you're not the only one is it actually helps you get out of it. Mm -hmm. So just the fact we're talking about it helps people. Now, I believe, and certainly what I've read is that just like systemic racism, there's systemic imposter syndrome stuff, stuff that contributes to that. What that looks like is, you know, when you have a competitive culture where you're trying to competing for the top, it can create that. When you're young and promoted into a role that older people are in, you might have a bit of imposter syndrome attached to it. You know, work culture that only has male or white male leadership attached to it. It can lead, you know, marginalized individuals, you know, whether we're talking about BIPOC or queer people to feel like they don't belong. And I think that's sort of, you know, the stuff that we tend to see. And it's, I really believe it's when we have underrepresented identities perceive whether it's on screen, on television, or in businesses, that we feel we don't belong. Mm-hmm. The thing to know is imposter syndrome is not a clinical definition. You know, I was just, I'm a member of the American Psychological Association, was looking some things up earlier. I'm like, oh, it's not a clinical definition. <laughs> what is really interesting, BIPOC people who work or studied, and BIPOC, I mean, you know, Black, Indigenous people of color. So I'm not even adding in the queer or gender expansive or non-binary folks. When they work in predominantly white environments, of course, I'm generalizing. That's not every BIPOC person. Studies are about generalities and conclusions. So for anybody who's listening, I'm not stereotyping. I'm just talking generally. Not everybody's like this. 
But when BIPOC folks who work in predominantly or studied in predominantly white environments, they found that they experienced imposter feelings at higher rates. Duh. You know, we all felt that like as queer kids, you know, we all felt that. And, you know, gender expansive folks like trans and, you know, non-people with non-binary identities I would say very pervasive themes that I've read in the literature about people not feeling man enough or woman enough. And I'm intentionally using quotes there to show about, you know, the binary identities attached to that when there's people, you know, that obviously are expansive than that and are outside of that or non-binary. When we feel, and this goes back to what you said, Gio and Renee, both of you said this earlier, about not being seen for who we are. Yeah. If people can't see us for who we are, we feel feel like we're imposters. Again, I'm generalizing, but I would suggest that those of us that are LGBTQ or queer, I don't use that term to describe myself because I'm old, because my grandmother would say, aren't you queer? And it was sort of a bad thing. Whereas I guess, I don't know why I think gay is a good thing when I was called fag and gay. Is a gay <laughs> I don't use queer to identify myself, but I'm totally cool with anybody else doing it. I'm, I'm very clearly a white gay man, but you can call me queer if you want, because I'm a little, I don't know what I am. Uh, I still don't know what I am. You know, our brain works to make us comfortable in a setting. So it wants us to check all the boxes. And when we don't check the boxes, that's when we feel that discomfort around it. And I think that that's just important to know that really creating the space where representation happens. And representation matters. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't believe representation, like, you know, the thing is in the U.S., you know, you know, affirmative action has been in place and people feel imposter syndrome if they've been hired as part of affirmative action program, not because they feel they've had the merit for the job. We all know this who work in the diversity, well, who are part of the diversity community, which is, you know, most people, even though they don't identify as that, but I'd say most of us are part of the diversity community, especially LGBTQ and BIPOC folks. Mm -hmm. Hello is that when those are there, it's when we feel underrepresented, it's hard for us to shine. And again, what happens is we spend all our energy trying to do that instead of do our jobs mm-hmm. <laughs> or instead of what did they think? What did that think? And there's been studies out there show that you know, people in the closet at work aren't as productive. Why? Because they're spending a lot of their energy hiding who they are. And when we hide who we are, we don't shine. So Marianne Williamson has a really great quote about uh, imposter syndrome that I like, and it's often attributed to Nelson Mandela as part of a larger poem she has. And she says this, there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others around you will not feel insecure. It's true. I had somebody recently reach out to me saying, the way you talk on the phone is exactly how you are in the podcast. I'm like, yeah, because that's all I know how to be. <laughs> and people, when they see you stepping into your yourself, it's like that empowers people to be themselves and to, versus me being like, oh, I'm going to like stay quiet or I'm not going to, I'm not going to be as like geo. You know what I mean? Because to me, I'm like, if you see me just being comfortable with myself, I'm allowing you the space to do the same. And I want people to do the same. Well, and that's the rest of the the quote. She says, you know, as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. You know, what you were saying about you're the same on your podcast is the same in this. You know, I say that to entrepreneurs, make that your website. People need to see you on your website. Write the way you talk. It was only in the last year I made my website sound like me. And I've been in business a long time. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you did my logo and, and did, you know, captured what I wanted, which, you know, I'm a casual person. So, you know, my little favicon and part of my logo is a lowercase GB because that makes me feel, that makes me feel me. My, I don't like a big GB. I'm like little GB. And I like, and now we're using that for GB TV. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not shrinking. It's just like, I am a casual person. Look, I wear bracelets and jewelry and I wear polo shirts. I don't, I don't wear ties. I don't give a shit. You know, the last part of the quote, which is why it's uh, attributed to Nelson Mandela, but it's not his. It says, you know, as we are liberated from our own fear, our fear liberates others. Now that's hard if you're LGBTQ in a rural community. So I'm not saying run around with a rainbow flag screaming and put your safety at risk you know, use your common sense. Yet in in the world of entrepreneurship, we have to believe that if you have a product and if you have a service that people will buy, and I don't mean, you know, weaving baskets because people, entrepreneurs come to me, oh, I made these really good baskets. I'm going to make $100,000 a year off that. I'm like, no, you're not. Do the baskets like that Saturday at the market. Do it as a hobby. You know, what are people going to buy? There's a difference mm-hmm. between a hobby and a business. But once you have something and test it out, it, it allows you to be 100% free in who you are. And, and I think that's what we all want with the world. And the number one thing I can say, and I've heard this from every leader, from CEOs, through to executive directors, through to frontline workers, is we have to let go of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. And it totally feeds into what you're talking about, because I think one of the things about representation that is so amazing is that we get to see and recognize ourselves, ourselves and other people, but something that's kind of like the flip side or like the shadow side of representation that we don't talk a lot about, but especially in the LGBTQIA plus community is gatekeeping. Thing is that you have this new culture emerging of like baby gays, basically, who are trying to figure out their gender identity, who are trying to figure out their sexuality. And they're terrified of like mislabeling themselves or sort of like glomming onto an identity that doesn't work. And there are other people in our community who are exclusionary, you know what I mean? Like who are intentionally keeping people from trying to find the label that suits them best because really it's about you. It's not about what other people think. It's about what works for you, right? Well, and Renee, that's so wise that you say that because you know, I think the thing is, you know, as someone's worked in a in a very LGBTQ organization in the past and moved out of that and into the corporate world, I've really learned that some people are going to groove with who I, I mean, I get hired, I'm sure, because I'm like a nice gay guy and all the women like me. And, you know, it took me a long time to realize that women over 45 are my buyers because they, li- they might like me because I'm a gay guy. And I can also tell you, I'm sure I've lost business because of it. Yeah. And you know what? I'm okay with that. And it goes against everything I believe that we shouldn't be hired because of our looks and how old we are and how little. Mm-hmm. And yet the reality is we are. So you want to allow your people to find you and buy you. And as a business person, I'm not talking about activism here, first off. So everybody take their activist hat off with us listening and don't yell at me because I've been an activist and an advocate, but I'm talking about business. It's a different ball of wax. As a business person, it makes much more sense for you to work with people that want to work with you than trying to convert people who don't. You have much more impact. Like for me as a speaker, I have way more impact with people who want to hear me than using the force of argument with people that don't. Mm -hmm. Now that's business. Now, activism is one thing. 
yes, you know, back in the days when I worked in HIV AIDS, ACT UP would throw blood on the blood on the stairs of the Washington Monument, and that was activism to get media attention. And then there were people like me who are advocates, which is different than an activist, which works on the inside to make change there. And I believe societally, you need two, mm-hmm. but yeah. not business. Business, if you want to make money, which is business about making money, hobbies are different. We're talking about business make your baskets for hobbies and knit and do, you know, for me, it's like playing the piano. No one's going to pay me to play the piano. They might, but I'm not going to make money for money. Find out who they are, where they live, what they hang out with. What do they want? Work with them. It makes your life better. You're going to work 40 to 60 hours a week. Enjoy it. I love what I do. I'm so lucky. I didn't always love what I do, but I have something above my desk that says this. I only work with people I like to have dinner with. Yeah. I will not do podcasts with people I don't want to have dinner with. I will, and that doesn't mean we'll ever have to have dinner. But what it does mean is I want to. I won't have clients that don't want to work with, that don't want to have dinner with. I, I've never had dinner with my clients. I don't think maybe one, but I still I want to have dinner with you. That's my filter. So I say to everybody listening, find your filter. When you're with your peeps, you will not feel like an imposter. You will feel like you are that light shining and like the sun beaming on people. Sun is in the sun in the sky. Sun beaming on people and that they want to be with you and you want to be with them. And that's where we all want to live. So well said. One last question for you. So if you had to look back at the trajectory of your life, your career and all of it together and give it a theme, what would it be? That's a big one. I just want everybody to get along and be happy. That would be the theme. I mean, my career started, my real career started when I was about 23 working at Starbucks as part of the team that opened the first wave in Canada in Vancouver back in the late 80s. And I wanted people to get along and have fun. And then I worked with prisoners and in HIV and in the corporate world and in hospitals. And people are like, that's such a diverse career. I'm like, not at all. It started when I was 12, working as a camp counselor, teaching people. What I do at Starbucks, I taught people how to open stores and train. What did I do with people in the corporate saying, I trained them on leadership skills. What do I do now? I talk about change management and give people tips. The reason I do it, and this is the theme, I really just want people to get along and be nice to each other. It sounds very simple, yet, you know, when I was a kid, I was picked on, as I'm sure many of our listeners were Mm -hmm. and have gone through this, no matter where you are on the spectrum, because it's not a binary, it's not black and white, it's a spectrum. I saw that the world could be better if we tried to understand people more. And that means people that have different political views than us, which is going to be hard for some of us to hear. And it's hard for me to even say that. And I don't mean that goes against our values. I think it's important to understand that. I don't think you have to agree with that. We need to understand where bad things have happened, why bad things have happened, why certain leaders have gotten into power. We need to understand that. And it's not because people are stupid. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. People are disenfranchised. People are feeling disconnected. And I don't believe it's about separation. When I hear words like elites and rural and this and that, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Honestly, this has been lovely. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> You're honestly top guests for sure. Oh, thank yeah. you. I think I said everything I wanted to say. I didn't say anything <laughs> about critical race theory and gendered racism and affinity spaces, but that's okay. <laughs> We that's could do a follow-up. That's no, what I was just going to say. Next episode. We'll, <laughs> we'll do a spin-off where it's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the boys and the, and the partying. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Greg, the last thing we want to get from you before we go is where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? Well, Renee, there's a few places they can find me online. So they can go to bechangeready.com. So just the way it sounds, bechangeready.com, which is the hashtag I use. They can go to gregbrown.ca, G-R-E-G-G-B-R-O-W-N.ca. They can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram. I'm all over the place. But if you go to bechangeready.com, all my stuff's there. And I welcome anybody to email me with any questions or to yell at me for something that I've said. I'm more than open to people telling me what's going on. <laughs> love that. I'm just going to email you to yell at you to tell you how much I love you. And <laughs> <laughs> I love Renee now. Yes. Thinking about dinner and I was like in this one day I'll come back to Toronto, Ontario or wherever and we'll meet for dinner. I am in Toronto today. Where are you normally? Port Dover. So down oh, okay. on Lake Erie. Where are you normally, Renee? I'm in Edmonton, Is Alberta. That, I don't want people to stalk me. Um, say that again. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> yeah, it's awful here. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Correct response. Correct so response. So my aunt and uncle live in Edmonton. For your outro, okay. do you want to just, uh, I'm going to put myself on mute and then I'll let you guys finish no, off. No, Okay, poodle face. Can you go? What? I, what do I say? Anything in the this part here? No, we no, just we wanted just to say bye. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> do I say bye? We're doing it right now, Greg. <laughs> okay, go. Greg, you're precious. We're saying goodbye to you so that you can go, and we will record our outro. Yeah. yeah. Say goodbye, and I'll say goodbye. We are saying goodbye. <laughs> oh, I thought we'd already said goodbye. Okay, well, bye everybody. Thanks for listening. Love you all. Bye, Annette. Greg. Bye, Greg. <laughs> Thank you so You're much. An angel. Goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> bye. I am forever changed. You know, we talk about like being yourself all the, in all areas of life. Oh my God. 100%. That person is himself everywhere he goes oh i'm obsessed yeah thank you to everybody for listening to greg and to me and to me and if you have any concerns or want to know more about what to name your dog after, <laughs> after narcotics <laughs> you can email us at listen to me podcast at gmail.com or you can message us on the socials at listen to me pod our Patreon is a ton of fun. So Gio and I recently put up a poll for our patrons to decide what our next bonus episode recording will be. And today is the last day that people can vote, but we are doing an episode on sex positivity because that's what everybody <laughs> voted for. <laughs> so if you want to get in on our awesome bonus content, including bonus episodes and blog posts mm -hmm. and getting access to the shows early and support us, your humble hosts, you can go mm -hmm. to patreon.com slash listen to me pod to find out more. And the music in this episode is graciously provided by audionautics.com. Mm -hmm.